everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm your host, Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about The Aching God by Mike Schell, the first book in the Iconoclasts series. So let's prevail over the magic of books. This was uh, an interesting book. I started, when I started reading it, I was a little slower to start, and it took a little bit maybe to get halfway. And then I was really invested in continuing to read. Now, I'm not saying the first half of the book was bad. It was just a little bit tougher for me to just say, this is what I want to devote all my time to reading. I never put the book down, right? Well, I mean, I put it down, but I never said, ah, I don't want to read this. I'm not excited. It just wasn't drawing me in to keep reading it as much as other as the other half of the book was. So... This was, it was very unique, I think. I don't think I've ever read anything just like this. Uh, I think that Mike Shell has some excellent, excellent horror scenes. Some parts were a bit graphic when reading it, but nothing that was too graphic, at least for me. But there were parts that were very visceral, and that was a real strength of Mike Shell's writing, is this atmosphere of the world that he's built. He really can feel this oppressive feeling that our main character feels Um, just for a minor minor plot summary just to kind of set the tone Ark is a retired um, adventurer and he's called back in to return a dangerous artifact to hopefully stop a dangerous plague now I liked it I thought the story was consistent parts that I did not like of his writing though at least in a non-spoilery section are that I felt like the pacing kept going really fast, then that would slow down and we wouldn't do anything for a few minutes and or a page or a chapter. And then we'd speed up and we'd start doing stuff again. And then we'd we'd slow down and do nothing. And it just didn't work quite as well for me, the constant switching back and forth between kind of a, a higher a faster paced and a slower paced story. You know, that was fine. And he kept reminding the readers of things. And I felt like he either just was really trying to hit it home that this was very similar to the last, to this other thing that was going on. And, or he just didn't trust the reader to pick up on it on its own. And so after he mentioned something, I would see it again and again and again. And I'm like, I know, you already said that you recognize this, that it looks like this other thing. Like, quit reminding me. Like, maybe, in truth, I would keep remembering that specific thing like it is. And I'll talk about it in the spoiler section. So, but maybe I would if I was actually, if I was the one thinking it, but it did not make for quite as good of a story, in my opinion. Now, I think we're going to have to just go into spoiler section. So if you haven't read the book, I would stop and go read it. It's about 600 pages, so it might take a little bit, but I think it's definitely a worthwhile read. And let's get into it then and talk about it. Arik, our main character, he is a swordsman. He lost part of his family. Uh, he, His son died being an adventurer, just like he was. And then his wife committed suicide or died of grief shortly thereafter. And his daughter has kind of separated from him because she's also an adventurer and he doesn't approve. He was an adventurer as well. 
He had a very bad last trip into the Barrowlands, where they delve into ancient Jao, D-J-A-O, temples. And then they claim relics, they artifacts, they bring them back, they sell them, they buy more, they go out again. So he tried to stop his daughter. Obviously, that didn't work. So the beginning of the story, Arik is called because there's this magical plague that's affecting the Citadel, and his daughter's been caught up in it, and so he agrees to go out. And he has to venture into the Barrowlands and replace an artifact, something they didn't, they haven't ever done before. Now, he has a crew. He's got Del Ogata, a sorceress, Sira, a healer, Gnaus, another swordsman, and Lumari, an alchemist. And of course, our good friend Belek, who is a flail wielder. He's a funny guy. I really enjoyed him. And I really enjoyed the group dynamic that they had. And this book left me with so many questions about uh, where it's going. But let's talk about some other characters really quick. Let's talk about Queen Genevieve. As soon as they kept saying her name, I knew there was going to be something weird about her. And then it told the story about how she got sick. And the priest of Timulus was like, hey, I'll come heal her and you'll get her back. And she'll live a long and healthy rule. And she's been living for 117 years and she's still going. But she's crazy, super psycho crazy. And nobody can thwart her because anytime anybody tries to thwart her, it all goes bad. They surrounded her castle. We're going to starve her out and then go in and give her time. And they all choked to death on plums that night. Crazy thing. So you know that it's kind of real. And I was like, oh my. Yeah, this is a bad situation. But luckily, she gives them permission to go out. And they are traveling to the Barrowlands. And they meet one of the last people who brought this relic back that they're taking. And he kind of explains it to them. And it was it was very in-depth. And I really liked the story as they go. I liked... I didn't like meeting the, the Captain Hray the, on the boat that doesn't like magic. Because... He was just like, you don't, you don't like magic? The, the water mages and the air mages that like can keep you from like drowning or like out of the way of the deep sea monsters and the other boats. And then he flocks them because they get drunk, which, you know, they shouldn't have done, right? But he flocks them and then he's like, well, that's okay. I don't need them to save us anymore. Like, and I'll just let them heal with medicine instead of this cool magic from the healer they have. And then they're attacked, and he's like, well, I guess we will all die. No, just, he doesn't say that, but uh, what, a, what a bad decision in a world with magic. Why wouldn't you take every advantage to your ability, or every, everything that could give you an advantage? Why wouldn't you take it and use it? Now, as they go, they meet a, the Mad King. That's what I call him. I can't remember his name right now. But they meet with him, and he is quite literally insane and he gives them a little gifts and then sends them on their way to the next place to the next town where they can enter the Barrowlands. very good i'm sorry if i feel like i'm hopping all over the place i just there was so much and there are so many good things and so many good questions that it was tough to kind of parse everything and remember it all and, and talk about it so just bear with me I loved 
well, let's say they when they get to the Barrowlands and they find the temple where they're supposed to be going to return the artifact, they have to then let the convince the clergy to let them in, although they're technically just supposed to. But there are there are actually two of the old members of the group that went in the first time, and they're both there. And one of them has just died, but the other is definitely trying to prevent them from getting access to it because of how horrible and how evil this thing was. Now, Wallach and the Sin Eater, this is in this scene here, that a Sin Eater is somebody who comes in and absolves people of their sins, basically. They don't look at the sun, they eat horrible things, they are filthy people, like they choose it though, so it's, you know. But it talks about how Wallach and the Sin Eater haven't been seen recently after the Sin Eater goes in to help him kind of absolve his sins. And I'm like, I got it. Like, Wallach killed the Sin Eater. He's going to dress up as them and pretend and come out and then try to kill them later. This is not a surprise. But he mentioned, Mike Shell must have mentioned it two or three times that, oh, here's the, the Wallach and the Sin Eater still hadn't been seen. That was a little unusual. Oh, well, Wallach and the Sin Eater still hadn't been seen. He must have had a lot of sins to repent. Like, I got it. I knew it after one. I knew exactly what was going to happen. So that part, I just did not like that. And then as they were going down into the Dijau Temple, Auric kept having... Now, he has PTSD, and so he was really struggling with his last journey and where his whole crew died except for him uh, when they took a relic and then some zombies came to life and killed them and were toying with him, but he was able to actually get away. Now, the whole time it kept reminding me, hey, this is exactly like that other temple you were in. Hey, this is exactly like that other temple I was in. It was so startling how similar this was to the last time I'd been in the Barrowlands. I got it. Maybe say it two or three times. I felt like every time I returned to his point of view, this is what we were we were seeing. So it's okay. It didn't hurt the well, it hurt the book a little bit, but it didn't really hurt the book. And it's kind of a just a nitpick of mine. So now before they can go in, I loved the moment that Delogarda shared with Arik that she was like, "Hey, I had bad ties with my family, but I feel like I've gotten close to you." And I like that, you know, I feel like my family's kind of been closed, like I was able to heal that with you before, you know, because my father died and he gets to kind of be like a little bit of a father figure to her, kind of reminiscent of his daughter. And then she's killed that night by a traitor, Arabin. Arabin. And I was like, ah, oh, my heart, you died, right? You could kind of see it coming because it's like, oh, she just like had this big moment and like shared something personal. Now she's going to die. So it's a little bit teased, but I just was like, ah, it still hurt me because I really liked her and she was a fun character. And now I know that it's going to be even tougher going into the, the temple. Our other character, Sira, Sira, she's the healer. This was this is another minor one. He kept referencing how she looked exactly like his last partner, Lenda, in the temple they went in. And that's fine. It was fine. I could totally see that being like realistic, but it was a lot. And she's a very powerful healer, but she won't actually, she can't use her power on herself. She's taken a vow to not heal herself with her own magic. So, okay, strange flex, strange decision to go that way, but I'm not going to stop you. That's your decision. So I liked her. Now, I was glad he died the two times. 
the first time I was like, oh, he died. And I knew he would do it as soon as they showed up on screen. Like, they are going into the temple. They have this map that's drawn out. They know what's going on. They know there's a pit below them. They have to cross over. And somebody comes in from the back, the Wallach, who was hiding in the clothes of the Sin Eater, to get into them, mentions he fights with Naus a little bit. Naus backs up, backs up. And I'm like, oh, he's going to fall into the hole. Falls into the hole. It was pretty obvious. So I either got glad of myself or disappointed in Mike Shell that he could it didn't surprise me with it. I'm not sure which it is. Then, of course, turns out the pit is not actually a bottomless pit. It's just got a, a magic spell to keep it dark and prevent no sound from coming up, which was very clever. I like that. Did not see that coming. They go down, they save Naus, and then they bring him back up. And then he dies later when they're actually fighting the aching god and the tentacles of that acid and kind of melt you all together, which was a very cool and, again, just kind of like gross and graphic and visual or visceral like part of the story that he was telling. So that was quite good. Um, Lumari, the alchemist, she was great. I like that she actually listened to Reason when they're putting the gem back, getting ready to put the gem in. She's like, I'd like to collect some of that black ooze that's coming out of there and this. And Ark's like, we're just going to put it back and you're not going to take any. This time it's better to not sate your curiosity and bring it back. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll agree with that. Like, you make a good point. So I liked that a lot. Now, the aching god. There are so, this is the part where I just have so many questions that the sword given to Ark by the Mad King. He got a sword. If you read the book, you know that, but it's just not enough worth mentioning here. So, well, except I mentioned it. So, uh, The sword is the will of God's bane, or God's bane will, and it's a sword that can hurt the gods. And the Aki God is the worst negotiator I've ever seen, like, ever. He's like, hey, you know what? He pulled out the sword, and you dragged it a little bit on the ground, which is kind of like my body in the temple here, which was another really cool part. But he's like, hey, you brought the sword. I've decided to let you guys live. Don't just call me, call me crazy, but I've just decided to let you guys live. All I ask is you drop the sword and you give me that body over there. That's of the person who already died. And there's like, oh yes, yeah, that's it. Just drop the sword. Obviously that means the sword is important like it's just it was the worst negotiator ever and he's like nah i'm not afraid i'm not afraid takes a step back or two i'm not afraid no don't, don't get any closer to me with that sword but uh no it was great so i just it was a fun scene of the negotiating and i loved that he he fights the god and he stabs him and poor bellic dies here with his he gets parts of his body fused together and then sira heals him but then, right before Art can stab the aching god's heart and kill him, some tentacles come and, and choke him out or break his neck and he dies. So there were so many good parts of this. But I was a little disappointed that the all women dying from the first expedition was like a red herring. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe it wasn't really a red herring. And, you know, just it makes so much more sense. I love the ending where he's like, oh... This gem was a lock on this god, and when they pried the gem off, it unlocked the god, 
and this is what he did. But then when it was in the Citadel and it got some blood on it, that's what was able to trigger the Aching God's power to actually release it. It was so cool, so smart. And then it makes you think. So they've been looting these these temples and these Zhao pyramids, not pyramids, but like these Zhao temples for years and years and years. How many gods have they unleashed? Is the Aching God the only god that actually had any power? He mentions that the last temple that Ark went in was a temple like his that had a god in it that they unleashed. But it sounds like that god died because she didn't have enough power. Did she? Did she not? There were so many questions. And then, are the good gods basically the same as like the aching god who wants more power and blood and to kill? And But they're playing the good side of it, so they last longer? And is it propaganda, the pantheon that they came in and destroyed the old pantheon of the Zhao gods? Or did they just lock them away? Uh, there's so many questions. What were the priests arguing about during his exit interview, basically, saying, you know, like, it was just so interesting. And the sword was alive, and it talked to him a little bit during that part. I'm really excited for the next book, and I'm going to get right into it. But I really hope that Arik kills the psycho god Timulus and stops Queen Genevieve. That's one of my hopes. I'm really looking forward to seeing that on screen, if it happens. So... That's going to be, I think, everything I have to talk about. I will say one more thing at the end here. The, uh, I read on, on my ebooks a lot, and the dreaded percentage mark at the bottom right corner, at least for me, uh, drives me crazy. I was like, man, I'm at 70%, and like, we're just barely getting to the tomb and like getting into it. And I'm like, man, we got so much. Like, How much is going to be after they deal with this aching god and putting the gem back? And... Then I'm like, I get to it and I'm reading, I'm like, oh my gosh, all this stuff's happening and it's still happening. It's so impressive. And then it's like, oh wait, I forget. You have the appendices and the thank yous and the acknowledgements and, and all that stuff at the extra space at the end and the pre-sneak peek of the new chapter. So the book ended and I was like, what? I'm done already? How could this be? Like, it was so funny. But that's going to wrap up my discussion of uh, The Aching God by Mike Shell. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to... David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. You know, I've uh, planned out all the books I'm going to read this year, and I put the calendar up on the website. So hopefully, on my website, hopefully it's there by now. Please remember to like, rate, subscribe, whatever, wherever you get your podcast from. And remember to prevail over the magic of books.